Good morning, Riverside. Welcome to Riverside Community Church. I'm calling this sermon uh, Beginnings because we're beginning something today. We're beginning uh, this, this narrative about uh, Samson, uh, Israel's next uh, deliverer, his, their next judge. And everything, it begins with God's grace. It begins with his grace. Everything begins with his grace. And also his grace is sufficient to see everything through, literally, everything. Everything is because of God's grace. When I look back on when I came to Christ back in the winter of 2008, 2009, guys, I, I wasn't pursuing it. I was not pursuing it. God, he came to me. He came to me. He came to me first through my wife and her family. He came to me first. God invaded me. He invaded me. He moved in on me. He stepped towards me. He stepped into me. He revealed himself through his word. And then I just merely, he merely caused me to just respond. He caused me to respond. Guys, this is grace. When I met my, uh, my wife and her family, I was down in Georgia. I spent about four years in Georgia. And there's a story down there uh, that's pretty common. There's two pastors you know, they're, they're from the Northeast, right? We know Northeastern pastors. Uh, they're from the Northeast, and they come down for a ministry conference, and they go to a restaurant in Atlanta, and the, the waitress serves them this white, mushy stuff. <laughs> Grits. This white, mushy stuff, and the pastors don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, excuse me, ma'am. Um, I actually, I didn't order this, so I'm afraid I, I just can't pay for this. And the waitress is like, sir... I have to tell you, you don't order it, and you don't pay for it. You just get it. <laughs> you just get it. That's God's grace. You just get it. Do you not? It's like bread. Up here in the Northeast, it's not grits, it's bread, right? You get a little dish of bread. You didn't order it, right? And you don't pay for it. It's free. It's bread up here. It's grits down there. That's God's grace. Guys, we don't order God's grace. We certainly don't pay for it. We just get it and, and it, and it carries us through in everything that we do in our lives. Everything. Our successes, our struggles, whatever it is. We're going to see today how immense God's grace is in the lives of the Israelites and how he begins a new work. And it's with his grace See, because of our sin and disobedience and going our own way, we create space. We create space between us and God. But God, he, he closes in on us because of his grace. Ephesians 2.4, we love Ephesians 2, 1-10. If there's a scripture you should memorize, uh, you'd make us proud if uh, you memorized Ephesians 2, verses 1-10. through 10. But verse 4 says this, But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He closed in that space and he made us alive together with Christ. That's his grace and his mercy. So today is the first part of this three-sermon section revolving around Samson and Judges. This scripture is laced with grace. I just want to show you grace today, guys. Can I do that? Can I just show you grace? I'm just going to show you grace. God's grace can stand on its own. 
we don't need to like package it in a cool little sermon title and stuff like that, which you, you guys know I like to do that. I'm not really doing that today. We're going to stand on God's grace today. So before we get into scripture, I want to set it up with some background information, some context. <laughs> guys, there's even God's grace is even in the context. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in the background. So we're 284 years into Judges. Uh, it's 1090 B.C., and we've been through 11 cycles. We've been through 11 cycles of downward spiraling. That's not a cycle, right? Like Ezra said last week, genius. It's a spiral. It's a spiral in the lives of the Israelites. This spiral is characterized by oppression, repentance, deliverance, faith, turning away, oppression, right? Repentance, deliverance, faith, turning away. This happened 11 times. Because of Israel's sin and rebellion, God gained their attention now by, again, giving them over to the Philistines for 40 years. 11 cycles of this. But guys, this is really, this is 11 cycles of God's grace. 11 cycles of God has shown grace and delivered them from oppression and their enemies 11 times. We're seeing the heart and the character of Jesus on display through God the Father here. In the Gospel of Matthew, what does Peter say to Jesus? What does he ask him? Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What does Jesus say? No, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus wants us to do that because that's what he does. It's God's grace. Eleven times he has delivered the Israelites from oppression. We've seen this character trait of God radiate through judges today. Radiate. This should change our lives. So Israel has endured 40 years of oppression, and in his grace, God is now going to raise up his 12th judge. So let's get into the scripture. Verses 1 through 3. The scripture says this, and the people of Israel did again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you should conceive and bear a son. Guys, God's grace is scandalous here. I want to point out two things here in, in, in just these couple of verses. And you see, God's grace is not always explainable. Sometimes it's a mystery. But I want to tell you these things about his grace. Here we see the kind of grace that is, it's just absurd how graceful God is to us. You know, we're often actually instructed to preach what is in the text. But I actually want to preach to you what's not in the text what's not into the text, because sometimes what's not in the text is just as important as what is in the text. So many times throughout Judges, the scriptures tell us that in their oppression, Israel did what? They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. Where is it here? It's nowhere. It's nowhere to be found. Israel is not crying out to the Lord. Israel is comfortable 
and their oppression. Guys, in this 11th cycle, oppression is just the new normal. It's just a new normal to them. Guys, this is sad. Do you ever feel like just you're feeling oppression in your life and you're just like, oh, whatever, this is just normal. This is just life. No, that's not normal. This is not life. But look what God does. He, he, he still steps into them. He still pursues them and moves into them. He still does it. Guys, this is as low as it gets. Things have gotten so bad for Israel, they don't even cry anymore. They're hardened. They're jaded in their despair. You see, God, he hears no cries, but he knows their hearts. He knows their hearts because they're his people. God knows his people and he knows their hearts and he begins moving in anyway. Guys, the Israelites, this deliverance they're about to get, they didn't order it and they didn't pay for it. They're just going to get it because of God's grace. They're just going to get it. We don't pursue God. We don't ask for his help. Before we come to Christ, we never asked for it. God just stepped into us and revealed himself to us. He moves in on us and makes the first step. If you're pursuing God, it's because God is pursuing you. If you're pursuing God. If you have these feelings about God, like, man, I think I, I, think I need to go to church. That's God. He's drawing you in. He's drawing you in. It's not an accident that you feel some kind of propulsion to read his word. It's not really you pursuing God. It's God pursuing you first. And he's putting that on your heart. If you just happen to hear the gospel one day, I don't know, maybe on the street, a soapbox preacher or somebody like hands something out to you, that's not an accident. Nobody just hears the gospel. People hate the gospel. They hate the gospel message. And we do too before we come to Christ. If you happen to hear the gospel, it's not a coincidence. God is pursuing you first. And he wants you to respond to him. Guys, it's not an accident. God is propelling you to him. God's grace gets even better here, okay? Check this out. The same, same verses, verses one through three. Guys, there's a pattern throughout scripture here. There's a pattern throughout scripture. God loves, he loves to work through barren women. He loves to work through barren women. A handful of times throughout Old Testament scripture, he works through barren women. Sarah, Sarah, what, New Testament? I think Elizabeth was barren and he bore John the Baptist, right? Here, Manoah's wife, she's barren. He loves this. He loves this. Barren, I looked it up. Barren means too poor to produce any vegetation. It also means bleak and lifeless. And, be, and being barren meant you were, there was shame brought upon you to a woman. People considered a woman shameful for not being able to bear a child. That's sad. But God loves this. He loves this because of his grace. God loves to take what is dead, what is empty, and what is devoid of life and resurrect it. And bring life to it. And to fill it. It's what he does with our hearts. He loves this. Guys, God says, what did he say to Paul in 2 Corinthians? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Your shame is God's showcase 
for his grace. It's his showcase for his grace. So this is where God's next judge is coming from. This is where his deliverance is coming from. It's coming, its origins are in a dry, barren, lifeless womb. Remember that. Death to life, barrenness to fruitfulness, crying to singing, resurrection. Guys, we are dead in our trespasses and Jesus bears our shame upon himself and resurrects us into new life. Jesus came to do CPR on a dead world. He came to to be a defibrillator, clear, and shoot electricity into our hearts and make us alive to him. To make us alive to him. (laughs) This is insane. Guys, he emptied himself to his life and to fill us with new life. As we move through the story of Samson, remember this next week and the following week. Don't forget how it all started. Next week or two weeks from now, remember how it all started. A dry, barren, lifeless, dead womb. That's how it all starts for us. Dead hearts. Dead hearts. And look what God does with them. Verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7 should be up there on the screen. Therefore, be careful. So he tells, Manoah, he tells Manoah's wife that they're going to conceive and bear a son through her barren womb. He's going to bring life to it. But there's some instructions now. Verses 4 through 7. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Hmm. A man of God with an appearance like the appearance of the angel of God. Jesus. Does that ring a bell, anybody? An Old Testament incarnation of Jesus himself. A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I love that. (laughs) Very awesome. It's just awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So here we have some instructions, pretty simple instructions. And God, he's setting the course. He's setting the course for Samson's life. He's going to be a Nazarite. And through the Nazarite vows, through the Nazarite vows, the child is going to be distinct and separate to the Lord. Distinct and separate to the Lord. But he's not just setting the course for the boy. He's setting the course for God's deliverance through this boy. Guys, we need instructions. We need instructions. We need to know what God's expectations are of us, but his instructions are his grace to us. Can you imagine not having the Bible? we'd be dead. We would be lost. He gives us these instructions, but we're actually going to learn that it's not really about the instructions. It's not really about the instructions. And also, we're going to learn too much instruction 
doesn't actually necessarily benefit us. So let's continue on in the scripture. Verses 8 through 20. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. This is a big chunk. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. So Manoah kind of like, you know, he heard what his wife told him and, and he's, you kind of like sense a little like tension between him and his wife. Um, he may not actually believe what she said. So now he asks God, uh, you know, please tell me what you told her. Right, guys? You're believing your wives. So continuing on, and God listened to the voice of Manoah. Grace. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, us, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. What just happened? What was going on there? Guys, Manoah just keeps asking questions. Look at the questions. What are we to do with the child? What is to be the child's manner of life? What is his mission? What is your name? What is his mission? What is your name? Manoah, despite what his wife told him, Manoah just wants more instructions. The angel of the Lord answers none of them. He answers none of them. He's already communicated them to his wife. Has he not? Manoah is looking for long-term understanding. He's looking for long-term understanding. The angel gives short-term commands for obedience. He's basically like saying, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Just do what I'm telling you right now. Can you please do that? Please do that. Tell me, just do what I'm telling you right now. Manoah and his wife, you see, they're, they're, they're at point A, Right? Point A, and then God gives them point B, which is deliverance. And then there's all this like kind of weird stuff going on in between, in between point A and point B. It's not entirely clear. You see, God, he's withholding every, God's withholding of every detail is actually his grace. Why? He wants us to be in between. 
He wants us to be in between because it's a time of danger. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time of discomfort. It's a time of expectation, right? He puts us in between without every detail because what does it do? It increases our dependence on Him. If we knew everything, we wouldn't depend on Him. We wouldn't depend on Him. He moves in on us by actually withholding from us. That's His grace. But that's not it. He withholds details from us, but He gives us something better. He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself. And that is amazing grace. Guys, we think we need rules in the in-between. We think we need rules, but we need to know God. We need to know God. God reveals himself through a man angel here. He reveals himself. He, he won't give us a guidebook for every, every detail, every decision through doubt and fear. He will not do it. We need the person of God more than we need the rules, the rules of God. He gives us something much better than rules. He gives us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Guys, we love rule books, do we not? We love rule books. We love boundaries. Just tell me what to do and what not to do, and I'm good. We love rule books, but God, he knows a person. A person is better than a rule book. We need loving, intimate relationship. That's what we need. You can't get that through rules, can you? And through instructions. You get it through a person. You get it through Jesus Christ. It's less about being conformed to rules than it is to be about being renewed, renewed in our hearts and our minds through relationship. Relationship renews us. Relationship with God and Christ. Guys, prescriptions can never replace person. Prescriptions can never replace person. This is the grace of God. With my daughter, right now, she's like a year and a half. It's, it's, all, it's a lot of rules. You know, like, it's really just yes and no. And now she's like, no, no. Now she's saying no. But really, y'all you, you know how it is if you had, if you had kids. It's, it's, it's a lot of rules in the beginning, right? That's just how it is because they can't really understand. So, but they do understand yes and no. They catch on to that. So that's really what it is. That's what it's going to be. But, you know, as she, the older she gets, the more she's going to need my person. The more she's going to need my wife's person. Does that make sense? It's going to be about compassion. And it's going to be about patience. And it's going to be about understanding and listening and mercy and grace and forgiveness. An authentic relationship with us is going to take her a lot further than just a rule book that we put in her hands. She needs relationship. This is how it is with God. Guys, we need his relationship. We need his person. We need Jesus. We need that relationship. We need the boundaries and the commandments. Don't get me wrong. He gives them to us. He does. He gives us the boundaries and the commandments. But if it was just them and no person, we would be toast. We'd be toast without the person. Because rules and commandments just don't cut it. They don't cut it. 
In his word, God has given us every detail about himself. He hasn't given us every single detail. He hasn't done that, but he's given us everything that we need to know between where we are and where we're going, between point A and point B. He's given us all the details that we need to know, particularly the person, the relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is sufficient for everything. Knowing Jesus is sufficient for everything in between where we are and where we're going. Guys, we can look at the cross and the resurrection and see the character of God. We can see the character of God in the cross and the resurrection much, much more clearly than in anything or anybody else. We can see it more clearly than in any rules, any rule book or, or guidebook or any instructions that God gives us. We need the person. Verses 21 through 25, we're going to see some wisdom now in, in this wife, this nameless wife of Manoa. She's amazing. Manoa's wife, man, he's a lucky guy. Verses 21 through 25. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoa and to his wife. When Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such these things. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtal. Guys, wise words. Let me tell you something. Wise words from Manoah's wife. That's the wisdom of God. That's the grace of God giving us wisdom and in particular, giving her this wisdom to see this. She understood God had not done so much for them, for him to abandon them now. He has not done so much for him to abandon them now. The basis of the faith of Manoah's wife was that she knew that the Lord had accepted their offering for him. And she also knew about his past deliverances all throughout the book of Judges, right? God's past grace promises us his future grace. God, you, you have shown me grace in all of this time. I trust you. He's going to continue his grace. It's his promise to us for those who love him and trust him and, and put their faith in him. Manoah's wife has wisdom. Manoah and his wife, they believe. They believe. They believe this is God and, and that, that, that God is going to do what he's going to say, that he says he's going to do. The faith is there. And we see this wisdom here in her. And maybe he needs to just kind of catch on a little bit. Manoah's a little bit slow. He's a little slow in the mind and maybe in the heart. But man, the wife is wise. The wife is wise. Guys, the same principle works for the Christian today. If God wanted to do you evil, he would have never accepted an offering on your behalf which is the offering of Jesus Christ on the cross. He never would have accepted that if he wanted to judge you and to harm you. 
this is grace. If God meant to judge us and harm us, he would not have sent his son. He wouldn't have sent his son who moved into us and he died for us. In, in the Gospel of John, in John 3.17, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So many people think that he sent Jesus to condemn the world. But then it says, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's God's grace. Guys, we've been like building like this awesome cake, layers of grace. Don't you just want to eat this cake? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. As I read through this, guys, deliverance and new life and true life begins with the grace of God in Christ Jesus invading our space, this space that we create. And God in his grace closes in on us and invades us and pursues us and steps into us. He takes the first step. We don't deserve this. Because of his grace, it's Jesus making the first move on us and us just merely responding. We should be responding to this in our marriages. God, you show me this grace. Where am I seeing grace in my marriage? Where am I showing grace in my, in, in my family with my kids? What does this look like in, in the classroom that I teach in with my kids? Or am I just slapping their hands down with a ruler? No. Maybe it's more than just no. Maybe you say, no, here's why. Because I care for you and I want what's best for you. That's why I'm saying no. Or yes, yes, and here's why. Here's why I'm allowing you to do this. This is relationship. It goes back to the person. Because of his grace, it's Jesus taking what's dead what's dead and empty and devoid of life and filling it with his life and his power, taking what's dead and making it alive, a barren womb to a fruitful womb. Don't forget that as you read through Samson. Because of his grace, it's Jesus withholding long-term understanding to instill dependence on him. If we knew everything, we wouldn't depend on him. We wouldn't. Let's be real about that. We wouldn't depend on him. And because of his grace, it's Jesus whose grace is sufficient for everything. Everything that we need in between where we are and where we're going. And because of his grace, God has revealed his personhood. His personhood, his character, his heart, and his mind because we need that person. That's his grace. We need the person of Christ. We need to learn about him and listen to him and, and read the Gospels and, and see how does he do things? How does he look at somebody? How does, he, how does he walk towards somebody? How does he talk to somebody? We need to know that. That's what changes our lives and renews us and transforms is the person. That's God's grace. Have you responded to this? Have you responded to the God's grace in your life? If you're in here today and you haven't made a response yet, you're not here by accident. 
You're hearing a gospel message. That's not an accident. And I encourage you to respond today. Say yes to Christ. Maybe you've fallen away. And maybe God is just trying to, He's wooing you back to Him. Ride on that grace. Ride on that grace. God, I want you back. He'll have you back. He will have you back. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Respond to this grace. Respond to the salvation, but not just the salvation, to the, the renewed life that we can have, the life that we're meant to live. Respond to this. Just by praying a simple prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's not a magical prayer. Just say, Father, Father, I recognize that in my life, I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. I've disobeyed against you. I've created space between you and me, but I'm tired of that space. God, I want to cling to you. Lord, I repent of my sins. I repent of my sins. Lord, I believe that Jesus, I don't believe in, in Jesus that he historically existed. I believe that what he did on the cross was paid for the penalty that I should have borne for my sin. Jesus paid for that in full on the cross. I believe that. That's the gospel.